I wonder whether you could take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. If you haven't got your Bible, then find it on your phone, okay? I haven't put it on a PowerPoint. So, um, yeah, okay? We're going to read Hebrews chapter 2 together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, okay? <clears throat> Everyone ready? Hebrews chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. 39 books in the Old Testament. How many in the New? Huh? 27. Thank you. 27 in the New. Okay. At the towards the back of the New Testament. Okay. So Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I tell you of your name to my brothers. I tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect 
so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Praise be to the Lord. We're on week two of the Hebrews series. And as the church at Junction 10, we aim to build. Build the building, yes. And if you haven't heard our five-year plan, um, Kevin delivered it on um, the 10th of February. If you haven't got it, then you'll be able to get it on podcast. I know that's a bit of a struggle at the moment with with the app, but anyway. But we don't just want to build the building. God told us to build a community with Jesus at the center. And we've chosen to focus on the book of Hebrews because it's right for us as a community to focus on Jesus. And this week, we're looking at chapter two, the greatest man. But before we start, I don't know whether you noticed in those first four verses, there's a warning. It's warning against us neglecting our salvation. It talks of us drifting away. Now, we know that he's the author and the finisher of our faith, but it's our choice. It's our choice. He gives us freedom to choose. It's our choice to read the Bible. It's our choice to invite him into our lives. It's our choice to tithe and give money. It's our choice to um, make our flesh submit. It's our choice to forgive. The four verses are warning us, don't drift away. Because it's really easy for your flesh to say, you don't need to attend church to be a Christian. I can be a Christian anywhere. It's really easy for your flesh to say, you read the Bible yesterday, you're good. Or, oh, it was so meaty, that word. It's still speaking to me today. Or, oh, I'll do that stuff, I'll get all this stuff done, and then I'll do my church and my Bible stuff later. It's really easy. But there are some fundamental things. And just like the Israelites, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they had fresh manna, or bread, didn't they? And what happened was it turned to worms by the end of the day. So it was of no good because it was teaching the Israelites you need fresh manna. And that was for their survival in the wilderness. And it's exactly the same for us. Some of us are living on leftovers or simply nothing at all. In Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any other two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. It makes perfect sense that there is a warning at the beginning of this chapter because you can't know Jesus more unless you read, I've got it printed out, unless you read the Bible and the scripture. Unless you read it, it it's not going to transform you It's just going to be sat on the side 
or on your in your drawer. I don't know where you keep it or on an app. In order for you to know Jesus more, you've got to apply it. You've got to read it. So as I was preparing for this word, I kept waking up every morning with the word supremacy in my head. So if you've got um, Hebrews 2 open, I just want you to look at verse 7. And it says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. As I've read this passage over and over, and I've read it in different versions and formats, the one of the things that I've been overcome by is the supremacy of Jesus. So I have to look up supremacy, because you know when you think, well, I'll just better just double check on the, uh, on the definition. Supremacy is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. I'm just going to read that again. So, supremacy is the state or condition of being superior to all others, all others, in authority, power, or status. Notice it says that he has been crowned with glory and honour, and that Everything has been put under his feet. Could anyone define everything for me? Tell me what everything is. Huh? Everything. Okay. Anybody else? Every, every, every single thing. Everything is everything. The lot. All things. I'm conscious that we can read these verses and we almost rush on. Oh, yeah, everything's under his control. And you carry on and you don't stop. And Jesus is saying, he, everything is under his control. There is not one thing that he's not able to do. Because Jesus is able Holy Spirit, would you just help us to have ears that hear your word? Lord, just the revelation of something of this magnitude in our lives is transformational. Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Notice it says, because of his suffering... So that by the grace of God, he might taste death. Now, for most of us, we don't enjoy suffering. I don't enjoy suffering. And often, the question that we, of what have we done, if we're going through trials, we think, oh, what's gone wrong? I don't know whether you've noticed, but recently, the language at Junction 10 has changed. Because I listen. And it's changed. And you know, it's not just the elders. I've heard it from our worship team. I've heard it from leaders. I've heard it from many of you. Now, we haven't sent out a memo. But what we have done is we've prayed and asked God to strengthen you. 
And what I see is I see the Holy Spirit at work. Because so many of you are not saying, why have I got trials and trouble? You're not actually saying that. But what you are sharing is what trouble you have and what God has done to help you in it, with it, or through it. That is a massive shift. And it's not just one or two. I've heard it and I have overheard it, because I do listen, in conversations in the heart space. Mons, you and I, we overhear things, don't we? <laughs> in texts, people have sent me texts. I've heard it in songs of the supremacy of Jesus. And it's bringing resilience to you. And what I'm doing is I'm just saying, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Have you seen it? Do you realise what he's doing? It says in John 16, I have told you these things so that, you may, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We promised trouble, that's a certainty, but we need to remember that he's overcome the world and that when we come to Jesus, he is able. Faith is rising. Can you hear it? It's like the rattling of the bones coming together, kind of actually, yes, I, I can believe this. So Jesus is fully man. What does that actually mean? It means that he's like us in every way. Through his childhood, in his adolescence, into adulthood. He had temptations just like us. In verse 17 and 18 of chapter 2, if you look towards the end, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that reassuring? He understands our temptations and he can help us when we're being stretched, challenged, tempted. Can you see it says that he's made like us, he's made like us in every respect. Often we can think of him as superhuman. So he can be kind of removed from us, not really like us. But he went through adolescence just like us. And he would have had raging hormones, just like some of you in this room have either had or are having. But Jesus knew who he was. So when all the thoughts that would have been deposited by the enemy that we have, as any teenager does... He would have had to have ignored them and accepted the truth. There would have been frustrations with his parents and siblings just like us. He did an apprenticeship as a carpenter. He learned a trade where he, he was told what to do and he probably had to make the tea. <laughs> Even though he made the universe. 
Jesus wasn't respected in his own town. He understands what it's like not to be listened to. Mark chapter 6 says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Was it because Jesus didn't have any power? No. It was because of the lack of the faith within the people. So we've said that he was fully man and that he's our role model and that he behaved well within his family, that he cared for them, that he ensured his mother had got a son or a man to care for him even when he was on the cross because he knew in that time and in the culture of the day, if she hadn't got somebody, her future was precarious. He had a trade. He got a reputation that went before him. We've already read in, in Mark that he was known as a carpenter. Well, you wouldn't be known as a carpenter if you weren't any good, would you? Jesus was the one you wanted to hang your doors, sort your roof out, make your plough and, and your yoke for your, for your cattle. He was the one that you'd go to. And can you knock me up a couple of, cha- table and, uh, a couple of chairs and a table while you're at it? And you know, the salary of a, of a carpenter of that time was a humble salary. He didn't have oodles of money. Isn't that reassuring? I find that really reassuring. He didn't have oodles of money. He'd have been shopping at Lily and Aldi with the best of us because he wouldn't have had oodles of money. But then we talk about creation. And the comment is, well, where's Jesus in creation? Well, it speaks in Genesis chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what about Jesus, the Son? Well, the other remarkable thing about him being fully human is that he had a timeline Jesus, the Son of God, was conceived in the form of Mary, and Jesus has a physical starting point. The Word has always been present. There are shadows in the Old Testament, and then there is substance in the New Testament. We have the benefit of being able to look back. Now, if you just bear with me and lean in, Holy Spirit, would you just help as we just grapple with this for us to understand? Lord, I pray, you know how rubbish I am at some of these things. I pray that you would overcome my inability and you would bring clarity in people's heads. I pray. So, in order to look at this, we need to look at John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word 
was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Those section of verses are actually deeply theological. In the beginning was the word. When John is speaking here, he is talking about Jesus, the man, that has a literal beginning. But the word has always been existent. The word was with God. John is reminding the Jews that God has multiple persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then it says, the word was God. John is affirming the deity of God and affirming the incarnation of Jesus. Then we drop to the verse 4 where it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Now, to put it crudely, you know, I find it, I'm a bit of a kinetic learner, and I I find it easier to see things. So those of you that are real academics, you'll have to bear with me. And those of you that appreciate a bit of a demonstration, then I'm sure you'll be glad. So, the bottle is a bottle. Agreed? Okay. I shan't tip it out, but the water is water. Yeah? You got me so far? Two separate things fused together. God embodied flesh. He embodied himself in flesh. God the Son, Jesus, he's a very God. The word morphe. God the Son is the same stuff as God. It says he became nothing. He humbled himself and he took on human flesh to fulfill the purpose of God. But he didn't empty himself of godness. There's a nice word for you. He didn't empty himself of godness. What he did was he let go of his rights and he chose to limit himself for a period then to one tell me what this is? It's not a trick question. It's a piece of paper. Anyone know what size it is? It's an A4 size piece of paper. Now then, I would like to put this A4 size piece of paper into this tin. Okay? It's not complex. Do I need Andre? No, I don't need Andre. (laughs) Okay, it won't fit. Hang on a minute. 
Okay? It's in the tin. Can you tell me what size piece of paper is in that tin? A4 piece of paper in that tin. Do you see? God chose to limit himself by putting himself in human flesh. But he is still God. Yeah? Jesus was also a role model in death. He knew what was ahead of him. And he also suffered death. He knows what it's like to die because he did it. He understands pain and grief. He was misunderstood, wrongly accused. He knew his purpose and he trusted the Father. He'd regularly spend time in communion with the Father. Communion meaning not just having a piece of bread and some ribena, but a sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially on a mental or spiritual level. And that's how Jesus showed us how to live. He was saying, this is what you need to do. You need to pray. You need to take time out. You need to read the word. And you need to be in communion with the Father. Finally, Jesus was our redeemer. Jesus died. Was he a martyr? No. Many people have been martyred and their deaths have either influenced or changed history in some way or another. But for Jesus, it was totally different. He died and he rose from the dead. And that meant death did not have power, rule, or dominion over us any longer. Can I get a hallelujah? You see, with Jesus as our redeemer, we become heirs, brothers and sisters to Jesus. Jesus lives and he made it possible for us to live eternally. Now our physical bodies get worn out and they decompose. That's fact. But when we have invited Jesus into our lives as our personal redeemer, there is a divine exchange. And he promised to prepare a place for us, a room for us. And he made it possible for us to die well. Dying well is the knowledge that we're going straight into the presence of Jesus. And that there's a place prepared for us and that we'll be safe. But it demands a great deal of trust. You see, in the valley of the shadow of death that can come at so many different times that we will never fully understand the timing, it's frightening for those either about to die or for their loved ones. Our fears can become overwhelming. And if someone doesn't know Jesus, we are to present them to him. And my Bible does tell me that people have to choose. But I have learned that mankind is incredibly complex. 
And God is good, gracious, merciful, and he loves his people. He gives us warnings, but he also gives us opportunity. Some clearly love God, but there are others that fit into the same category as the prisoner on the cross. When the prisoner said to Jesus, remember me, Jesus' response was not a theological lesson or I'm going to sign you up for a discipleship class. Okay? Jesus' response to the prisoner was, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus sees the heart. And it's that part that is secret to so many people that we don't know what is going on in people's heart in the secret place. And God is often doing a silent work. When you hear stories and testimonies of people, the Holy Spirit is whispering to people. We had somebody and we had been praying for them for years and years and years. They'd committed their life a while ago when they'd been reading a Gideon's Bible in the hotel room and nobody knew. We do not know what God does in the silent. We have to trust. We don't understand it all and we never will, but we're not meant to. We're going to worship Jesus. I'm going to ask the team to come as I read some of these scriptures. And we're going to give Jesus some praise because I don't know about you, but when you think about the supremacy of Jesus and his utter, incredible, he's the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he is able to do everything, that there is nothing outside of his control. That's what the word has just said that we've read. That is overwhelming and that's something that should really something should swell and bubble up within your soul and make you just want to burst because God is so incredible that he chose to limit himself and yet he's still God and that he's He's conquered over all of these things. There is nothing outside of his control. It says in 1 Peter 1, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. And then at the end of the same chapter, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. Poke the person next to them and said, Tell them he came to save them. Poke them. I'll poke you, Joe. Nobody can get there. He came to save you. (laughs) You're all waking up now. Oh, quick. I've had a quick snooze. And that it it wasn't paid... It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ. 
the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory. And these are the seven statements of Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gave his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Would you stand? Because if there is not something bubbling up within you to praise the King of Kings, then there's something wrong. We need to give Him glory and honour and praise. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.